You're listening to Climate Update, a podcast brought to you by the Climate Change Institute of the Australian National University. Hello and welcome to Climate Update. In this series, we're going to be focusing on discussing the latest developments in climate change, whether this is items that have been in the news recently or research that has recently been published. In this episode, we'll be discussing the impact that the coronavirus pandemic has had upon global greenhouse gas emission levels. Coronavirus has brought many aspects of daily life grinding to a halt. International and domestic travel have largely ceased, airplane fleets have been grounded, and the roads and city streets have become largely empty as people stay home to curb the spread of the virus. With this huge reduction in travel and commute, many of the major cities have had plummeting levels of air pollution and have been reporting the best visibility that they've had in years. But what impact has the coronavirus pandemic actually had upon global greenhouse gas emission levels and how much are they expected to drop? In this episode, I'll be joined by Professor Mark Howden, Director of the Climate Change Institute at ANU, to discuss this question further. So, Professor Howden, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Lamise. So, in relation to the response to coronavirus and the impact this has had on greenhouse gas emissions, would you be able to tell us a little bit more? Well, before the coronavirus lockdown, our carbon dioxide emissions were going up quite rapidly, in spite of the Paris Agreement, which commits governments to reduce those emissions. So, last year, they went up about 0.6%. This year, they're likely to fall. They may fall between 5 and 10%, but with a best estimate of around 7 or 8%. So even though this is the single biggest fall in greenhouse gas emissions on record, it's much, much bigger than the global financial crisis and much bigger than the post-World War II falls in emissions, they actually seem pretty hard to reconcile with what we actually see outside our windows with the lockdown. What we see are fewer cars on the road, even fewer planes in the sky, empty schools, empty shops and empty offices. So as you say, this emissions reduction, although it is large historically, may not be as much as some people expect. I mean, 7 to 8% doesn't seem like a huge amount. How can it be that this is only the small reduction given the scale of the lockdown globally? It does seem disproportionate that we're suffering so much pain in terms of sort of reduced activity and what seems like a really modest reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. So if we break this down a bit, say for Australia, electricity is around about a third of our greenhouse gas emissions. And we're actually still using about as much electricity as we were before the lockdown, even though we're using it in slightly different places, like our homes, and at different times, like more in the evenings, we're still producing lots of electricity and still got the same sort of greenhouse gas emissions coming from that. If we think then about our food, our food almost generates a third of our emissions too, and we're still eating. And our industry, including our mining, is still largely going strong. And that's about another 20%. So we've got you know two lots of 30% and 20%. So we've already got pretty much no change to 80% of our emissions. However, our transport, which is around about a fifth of our emissions, is actually reducing. So we've roughly halved the amount of um, cars and trucks on our road, and our plane travel is down tremendously from what it was before, but that's only around about 2% of our emissions profile. 
So when you actually add all of that up, it's not surprising we're actually only seeing a relatively small reduction in our total greenhouse gas emissions because most of the things that produce those greenhouse gas emissions are still going strong. So in terms of, uh, as you say, there's been enormous you know, economic and social pain for this 7% reduction of emissions. So what does this mean for ongoing emissions reductions efforts? Will they require similar sacrifices? Well, I guess the sort of emission reductions we're seeing, so let's say about 7% uh, for this year, to meet the Paris Agreement goals to keep climate change under control, we'll have to repeat that year after year until 2050. So this year we're reducing 7% and the next year we have to reduce another 7% and then another and another after that. And so given that we're actually seeing enormous economic, social and psychological pain for this 7% reduction, what does that actually mean for ongoing emission reductions to meet that Paris goal, which, which actually means taking our emissions down to net zero by 2050? So what's actually going on is that the COVID lockdown was not designed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They're actually an accidental consequence of reduction in economic and other activity. And because they weren't designed to actually do cost-effective emission reductions, that's why we're getting such a high pain for each gain in terms of emission reductions. But we actually know how to design and implement policies that can reduce greenhouse gas emissions at the needed rate, but with either low economic cost or, and low social cost, or even with social and economic gains. We actually know how to design these policies to go to decarbonise our economy and actually be better off for it. And the difference between the sort of very high pain situation we're in at the moment and doing it differently is the vision we have for our future. So moving forward from the coronavirus, how can we ensure that our recovery efforts don't return us to the same greenhouse gas emission trajectory that we were on before? At the moment, a lot of the discussion and the words which are being used are all about bouncing back from COVID-19. So it's taking us back to the way things were before, taking us back to what we used to think was normal. But this wasn't necessarily a good place to be. Now, we had a lot more air pollution at that time. We had climate change was going rampant, if we only think back on the last summer. We had coral bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef. We have species going extinct. We've got heat stress unprecedented impacting on people's lives, livelihoods, ec economies. So this wasn't a great picture of a place to go back to. So I think we need an alternative framing, which is not so much bound by how things were in the past, but how do we, instead of bouncing back, how do we bounce forward with a real strategy for a sustainable, fair and exciting Australia? Professor Howden, thank you very much for joining me today and thank you for this discussion. Thanks, Lamise. And thank you for listening to the Climate Update podcast. To stay tuned for our next episode, you can follow us on Twitter at ANU Climate or you can check out our Facebook page at ANU Climate Change Institute. Thank you.